Section 41 of The Man Who Laughs by Victor Hugo. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dave K. of South Central Minnesota. The Man Who Laughs by Victor Hugo. Part 2, Book the First, Chapter 7. Bacilfedro gnaws his way. There is one thing the most pressing of all, to be ungrateful. Bacilfedro was not wanting therein. Having received so many benefits from Josiana, he naturally had but one thought, to revenge himself on her. When we add that Josiana was beautiful, great, young, rich, powerful, illustrious, while Barquilfedro was ugly, little, poor, dependent, obscure, he must necessarily revenge himself for all this as well. When a man is made out of night, how is he to forgive so many beams of light? Barquilfedro was an Irishman who had denied Ireland a bad species. Barquilfedro had but one thing in his favor, that he had a very big belly. A big belly passes for a kind of kind-heartedness, but his belly was but an addition to Barquilfedro's hypocrisy, for the man was full of malice. What was Barquilfedro's age? None. The age necessary for his project of the moment. He was old in his wrinkles and gray hairs, young in the activity of his mind. He was active and ponderous, a sort of hippopotamus monkey. A royalist, certainly. A republican, who knows? A Catholic, perhaps. A Protestant, without doubt. For Stuart, probably. For Brunswick, evidently. To be for is a power only on the condition of being at the same time against. Barquilfedro practiced this wisdom. The appointment of drawer of the bottles of the ocean was not as absurd as Barquilfedro had appeared to make out. The complaints, which would in these times be termed declamations, of Garcia Fernandez in his chart-book of the sea, against the robbery of Jetsam, called Right of Wreck, and against the pillage of wreck by the inhabitants of the coast, had created a sensation in England, and had obtained for the shipwrecked this reform, that their goods, chattels, and property, instead of being stolen by the country people, were confiscated by the Lord High Admiral. All the debris of the sea cast upon the English shore merchandise, broken hulls of ships, bales, chests, etc., belonged to the Lord High Admiral. But, and here was revealed the importance of the place asked for by Barquilfedro, the floating receptacles containing messages and declarations awakened particularly the attention of the Admiralty. Shipwrecks are one of England's gravest cares. Navigation being her life, shipwreck 
is her anxiety. England is kept in perpetual care by the sea. The little glass bottle, thrown to the waves by the doomed ship, contains final intelligence, precious from every point of view. Intelligence concerning the ship, intelligence concerning the crew, intelligence concerning the place, the time, the manner of loss, intelligence concerning the winds which have broken up the vessel, intelligence concerning the currents which bore the floating flask ashore. The situation filled by Barquilfedro has been abolished now for more than a century, but it had its real utility. The last holder was William Hussey, of Doddington, in Lincolnshire. The man who held it was a sort of guardian of the things of the sea. All the closed and sealed-up vessels, bottles, flasks, jars, thrown upon the English coast by the tide, were brought to him. He alone had the right to open them. He was the first in the secrets of their contents. He put them in order and ticketed them with his signature. The expression, Loger un papier au greffe, still used in the Channel Islands, is thence derived. However, one precaution was certainly taken. Not one of these bottles could be unsealed, except in the presence of two jurors of the Admiralty, sworn to secrecy, who signed conjointly with the holder of the Jetsam office the official report of the opening. But these jurors being held to secrecy, there resulted for Barquilfedro a certain discretionary latitude. It depended upon him, to a certain extent, to suppress a fact, or to bring it to light. These fragile floating messages were far from being what Barquilfedro had told Josiana, rare and insignificant. Sometimes they reached land with little delay, at others after many years. That depended on the winds and the currents. The fashion of casting bottles on the surface of the sea has somewhat passed away, like that of vowing offerings. But in those religious times, those who were about to die were glad thus to send their last thought to God and to men. At times these messages from the sea were plentiful at the Admiralty. A parchment, preserved in the hall at Old Lane, ancient spelling, with notes to the Earl of Suffolk, Grand Treasurer of England under James I, bears witness that in the one year, 1615, fifty-two flasks, bladders, and tarred vessels containing mention of sinking ships were brought and registered in the records of the Lord High Admiral. Court appointments are the drop of oil in the widow's cruise. They ever increase. Thus it is that the porter has become chancellor, and the groom constable. The special officer charged with the appointment desired and obtained by Barquilfedro was invariably a confidential man. Elizabeth had wished that it should be so. At court, to speak of confidence is to speak of intrigue, and to speak of intrigue is to speak of advancement. This functionary had come to be a personage of some consideration. He was a clerk and ranked directly after the two grooms of the almonry. 
he had the right of entrance into the palace, but, we must add, what was called the humble entrance, humilis introitis, and even into the bedchamber, for it was the custom that he should inform the monarch on occasions of sufficient importance of the objects found, which were often very curious, the wills of men in despair, farewells cast to fatherland, revelations of falsified logs, bills of lading, and crimes committed at sea, legacies to the crown, etc., that he should maintain his records in communication with the court, and should account from time to time to the king or queen concerning the opening of these ill-omened bottles. It was the black cabinet of the ocean. Elizabeth, who was always glad of an opportunity of speaking Latin, used to ask Tonfield of Colley in Berkshire, jetsam officer of her day, when he brought her one of these papers cast up by the sea, Quid mihi scribit Neptunus? What does Neptune write me? The way had been eaten, the insect had succeeded. Bacilfedro approached the queen. This was all he wanted. To make his fortune? No. To unmake that of others? A greater happiness. To hurt is to enjoy. To have within one the desire of injuring, vague but implacable, and never to lose sight of it, is not given to all. Barquilfedro possessed that fixity of intention. As the bulldog holds on with his jaws, so did his thought. To feel himself inexorable gave him a depth of gloomy satisfaction. As long as he had a prey under his teeth, or in his soul a certainty of evil doing, he wanted nothing. He was happy, shivering in the cold which his neighbor was suffering. To be malignant is an opulence. Such a man is believed to be poor, and in truth is so, but he has all his riches in malice, and prefers having them so. Everything is in what contents one. To do a bad turn, which is the same as a good turn, is better than money. Bad for him who endures, good for him who does it. Catsby, the colleague of Guy Fawkes, in the popish powder-plot, said, To see Parliament blown upside down, I wouldn't miss it for a million sterling. What was Barquilvedro? That meanest and most terrible of things an envious man. Envy is a thing ever easily placed at court. Courts abound in impertinent people, in idlers, in rich loungers hungering for gossip, in those who seek for needles in trusses of hay, in triflers, in banterers bantered, in witty ninnies who cannot do without converse with an envious man. What a refreshing thing is the evil spoken to you of others! Envy is good stuff to make a spy. There is a profound analogy between that natural passion, envy, and that social function, espionage. The spy hunts on others' account like a dog. The envious man hunts on his own like a cat. A fierce myself, such is the envious man. 
He had other qualities. Barquilfedro was discreet, secret, concrete. He kept in everything, and racked himself with his hate. Enormous baseness implies enormous vanity. He was liked by those whom he amused, and hated by all others. But he felt that he was disdained by those who hated him, and despised by those who liked him. He restrained himself. All his gall simmered noiselessly in his hostile resignation. He was indignant, as if rogues had the right to be so. He was the Fury's silent prey. To swallow everything was his talent. There were deaf wraths within him, frenzies of interior rage, black and brooding flames unseen. He was a smoke-consuming man of passion. The surface was smiling. He was kind, prompt, easy, amiable, obliging. Never mind to whom, never mind where, he bowed. For a breath of wind he inclined to the earth. What a source of fortune to have a reed for a spine! Such concealed and venomous beings are not so rare as is believed. We live surrounded by ill-omened crawling things. Wherefore the malevolent? A keen question. The dreamer constantly proposes it to himself, and the thinker never resolves it. Hence the sad eye of the philosophers ever fixed upon that mountain of darkness which is destiny, and from the top of which the colossal spectre of evil casts handfuls of serpents over the earth. Bacilfedro's body was obese, and his face lean, a fat bust and a bony countenance. His nails were channeled and short, his fingers knotted, his thumbs flat, his hair coarse, his temples wide apart, and his forehead a murderer's, broad and low. The littleness of his eye was hidden under his bushy eyebrows, his nose long, sharp, and flabby nearly met at his mouth. Barquilfedro, properly attired as an emperor, would have somewhat resembled Domitian. His face of muddy yellow might have been mottled in slimy paste. His immovable cheeks were like putty. He had all kinds of ugly refractory wrinkles. The angle of his jaw was massive, his chin heavy, his ear underbred. In repose and seen in profile his upper lip was raised at an acute angle, showing two teeth. Those teeth seemed to look at you. The teeth can look, just as the eye can bite. Patience, temperance, continence, reserve, self-control, amenity, deference, gentleness, politeness, sobriety, chastity, completed and finished Barquilfedro. He calumniated those virtues by their possession. In a short time, Barquilfedro took a foothold at court. End of section 41